Okay, we are starting today. Um, chapter chapter uh, um, chapter forty six. Chap- chapter forty six of the book of Genesis. Um, if if one of you co-hosts can set it so that so that um, it's going to be uh, speaker uh, and uh, full screen or something like that, where where I come out. Uh, on there, if if you could do that, one of you uh, co-hosts, do that for me. And um, so we are reading in, in chapter 46 of Genesis, and you might remember in chapter 45, the invitation has come from Joseph for his family to come down to to uh, Egypt, come into Egypt because there is a famine in the land and five years left of famine. And Pharaoh himself has invited them and said, don't even bother bringing whatever you have because I'll take care of you here. And so they have this invitation from Joseph and they have this invitation from, from uh, uh, Pharaoh himself. So reading from chapter 46, verse 1. So Israel set out with all that he had and he came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to God of his to the God of his father Isaac. God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. And I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will surely bring you up again. And Joseph will close your eyes. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob and their little ones and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had given to him. Okay, so you see here, it's, 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 it's an interesting passage here. He says, so Israel set out. Now why, why is Jacob, what's the fundamental reason for Jacob going down into Israel? The fundamental reason is there is a famine. That's why all of this is now converged, because there is a famine, and because of the famine, they have to leave the land. Or else, as Joseph said, if you don't leave the land, you are going to be impoverished. He knows that God would never let them be wiped out, but you would be impoverished. So, so they need to go down into the land of, of Israel, uh, into the land of Egypt. And it's interesting that there are circumstances that are causing them to have to go down. Why couldn't God just tell them, go down to Egypt? Why is it that there has to be a famine that draws them down? And very often, our paths are directed by circumstances which come upon us or upon the world. This is not unusual in the scriptures. Watchman Nee says, never think yourself so spiritual that you don't have to be led by circumstances. If you look in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, Luke chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabitants of the earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. 
While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The Lord wanted them in Bethlehem because that's exactly where he had to be born according to the scriptures. Now, couldn't he have just spoken to Joseph, say in a dream like he had spoken previously? Couldn't he have just spoken to Mary by sending an angel and say, hey, you know, get down to Bethlehem. That's where the Savior needs to be born. But he chose to direct them to Bethlehem through a decree by Caesar Augustus saying everybody has to return to his own hometown. Everybody's going to have to go there to his own hometown. That's how they were directed. It was the circumstances of a proclamation by Caesar Augustus which made them get in the right place for the birth. And I'll tell you, this may have been a very good way for the directive to come. I have four children, and when a woman is great with child, they don't care to be walking uh, about a hundred miles to uh, another city. That's not something that, that they uh, uh, thought that they, they really uh, would, would like to do. They don't want to be left out sort of in the cold or, or uh, uh, without, without a room for them in the inn. But God directed them there by circumstances. God is directing here. He's directing uh, this period for them to be in Egypt in this time through a directive that came through a famine. Very often our lives are directed by circumstances. We lose a job. We have to go to another city to get work. This is just a fact of life. These things happen, and it doesn't mean we're out of the will of God. Very often God directs us through circumstances. And then it goes on to say, so, so Israel set out with all that, he, all that he had. So he left with all that he had. Remember, Pharaoh had told him, Pharaoh had told him earlier, he said, uh, um, he said in verse 20 of chapter 45, do not, this is Pharaoh speaking, do not concern yourselves with your goods, for the best of the land of Egypt is yours. But no, Joseph brought whatever he had. He did not want to be so dependent upon Pharaoh in that way that he'd have to get everything and rebuild it. He was a, a, a great man of dignity and he, 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 he took everything he had. He took it with him all that he had, and he came to Beersheba. So, they're coming out of Hebron. I would say, right now, if I were to drive from Hebron to Beersheba, it would take about an hour and ten minutes, an hour and fifteen minutes. Uh, so, and I don't, and that's, that's sort of a direct route. There is a way, there's, there's, there's an indirect route where you, you, you drive, you can drive on the highways to Tel Aviv and then straight down. That may have been the route that they needed. They may well have had to get on that, that route uh, uh, that connected them with the north-south trade route, which went along the Mediterranean, to go down to Beersheba. Because if you go diagonally, uh, what happens is it's, it's, it's more of a dry area and the, it wasn't as populated. And so we don't know the route that they took, but they get to Beersheba. Now, Beersheba was a key city. That was the last city before they step out across the Sinai Peninsula uh, and, and go toward Egypt. And that was also a key city because that is where Abraham lived and that is where Isaac lived. And so this is the place where Abraham had, had, had offered up offerings and Isaac had offered up offerings. This is in, in uh, it's talked about in, in uh, 
Genesis in, in Genesis chapter twenty in Genesis chapter twenty one it talks about how how Abraham named that city Beersheba. In Genesis chapter twenty six it talks about how Isaac had lived there, and he said he was offering to God and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. He's offering sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. This is interesting. It can, he connects this very much with the God of his father, Isaac. There was a spiritual connection here. He had learned how to offer up sacrifices from his father, Isaac. His father, Isaac, had learned how to offer up sacrifices from his father, Abraham. And we know Isaac, as, as, a, as a boy, understood sacrifices. Remember, he said to his father, Abraham... Where, where is the lamb? Where is, where is, where's the animal that we're going to be sacrificing? And Abraham said, God himself will provide it. He well understood what was needed in a sacrifice. And remember that Jacob and Abraham overlapped by 15 years. So Jacob knew his father Abraham for 15 years. So he may well have seen him also offering up sacrifices. So he had this connection. We often have connections to the people that teach us spiritually. I have a connection, and, and Vivek, who's on the line, he'll, he'll understand this. I have a connection to these Indian Christians because they are the ones that discipled me. A man named Dr. T.E. Koshi and a man named Brother Bak Singh of India. And, and I have a, a, a spiritual connection to these men. So much of the way that I teach, of the way that I read and interpret Scripture, comes because of the ways that they taught me, the things that they taught me. The reason I pray on my knees is because I learned this from them. I learned this from those folks. So there is a connection and he feels this connection. And now he's in this city where his father and his grandfather had lived. And then God speaks to him. It's interesting that he offers up these sacrifices. He sets aside a specific time. Now this is only the sixth time, six, the sixth time in, in uh, Jacob's life where he sees an appearance of God. It's been at least 25 years since there's an appearance of God in, in this sort of way, where he's had a vision of this, where God is speaking to him. And now, this is not a dream because it says, it says, uh, uh, God spoke to Israel in visions of the night. Not just a single vision, but there were visions of the night. This is not a dream. A vision is you're awake. Uh, so he is awake and it's a, it was at nighttime, but he was, he was awake. And it says, and God spoke to Israel. He calls them by the new name that God had given him, Israel. Now, the name was used interchangeably. You can see in the last verse of, of chapter 45, 28, it says, Then Israel said, and he went down, and, and, and then he goes down to Egypt. And the names were used interchangeably. But it's referred to in this first part. It says in, in verse 1, Israel... In verse 2, God spoke to Israel, again, using the new name, one who wrestles or one who strives with God, one who takes hold of God. This was initiated because Jacob offered up a sacrifice. It was initiated through giving a sacrifice to God. This cost him something. This cost him something. Remember, David had said to, to Ornan, uh, 
Uh, David needed this plot of land to offer up a sacrifice. And Ornan said, you're the king. You want it? You just take it. The land is yours. He said, no, I'm going to buy the land. This is in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 24. David said to Ornan, 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 24, I'm going to buy the land because I'm not going to offer up to so- something to the Lord that costs me nothing. Offering up something to the Lord is a sacrifice. It costs something. It costs you something. It costs us something to rise up in the morning and spend time with God. There is a cost in this. We cannot offer up to the Lord that which costs us nothing. Something of our spare time. There is a dedicated time and this is how we hear God. We hear God through offering up time to the Lord. We give Him our time. We give Him our our undivided attention. We give him our devotion in this way with undivided attention to the Lord. This is undivided attention. He offers up this offering and God meets him. God meets him. It is through time with God that we are empowered. It is through time with God that we get this strength. And I see it all the time in my life. Believers, Christians who are beat up in their life, who have no substantive difference between them and the people of the world. And you ask them, how much time do you spend with God? And be like, what do you mean? Well, how often do you just get your Bible and get alone and start reading that and say, Lord, speak to me? I'll tell you the other thing that I learned from these Indian men that disciple me. And, and I, I'm, I'm like Philemon to Paul. I owe them my very life. They taught me, you get alone with the Word of God in the mornings. You get alone with the Word of God. And you start reading from the, where you left off the day before. And, and, and I read the same pattern as Brother Bak Singh taught me. They still do this to this day. After, after 40 years, I'm still doing this. After more than 40 years, as I start in Genesis chapter 1, I read through to Revelation chapter 22. When I'm done, I start again and I pick up where I left off. You don't have to follow that pattern. There's, there's nothing that says you have to follow that. But you ought to get in a pattern of systematically reading the Bible. And you pick up where you left off the day before and you say, Lord, speak to me. As I look at this passage, speak to me. Speak to me through the word of God. This is what meditation is. You read slowly, deliberately, pensively. And you say, Lord, as I read this passage, speak to me. Speak to me. And God is a God who speaks. You see here it says, and God spoke. You can look through the scriptures again and again. God spoke. God said. God said. Again and again. Our God is a speaking God. Now, it was 25 years since the last vision he had with God since the last. But this is not just 25 years and he's coming before God. There is a pattern in these people's lives. And so he has this time with God. God appears to him and he and it says, uh, um, God spoke to Israel in a vision of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, he calls him by his former name to remind him, remind him of where I have brought you. Supplanter, supplanter. The first two times he re- it's referenced, he's called Israel. But now when God is speaking, he says, I just want to remind you how far I've brought you. How far I've brought you. I want you to remember this. How far I have brought you. There are things that can come in our life that cause us to remember how far God has brought me. Uh, w- with Vivek on the line, I mean, I met Vivek's parents when they were just y- a young couple. And Vivek wasn't yet born. It was I, I think just you, his sister, who's older than him. She was just a little girl riding on her father's uh, uh, shoulders. And uh, um, and as I as I think about that, I think, look how far you have brought me. I was just an undergraduate at the time, 
and I'm so thankful to God. He reminds him. He reminds him of this. He says, he says, uh, uh, he says, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. He says, here I am. I'm ready, Lord. Speak to me. Lord, speak to me. He said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. He says, I'm the God of your father. The same one who, who guided your father Isaac, the same one who guided your grandfather Abraham, that's me. There is a connection there. And as we understand the body of Christ and the church in general, there is a connection there. I am so thankful for the church. I'm so thankful for the body of Christ because it's through that I get, I get counsel from God. I mean, even just this past week, I was just stopped in my tracks. You know, it's, it's interesting. I'll tell you this story. I, I was attacked by someone on the internet who said, you know, all my views on original life are, are nonsense and he attacked my faith and everything. And so I've been recording a series of lectures which are going to start coming out probably next week on my, on my YouTube channel, DR James Tour, just going step by step over everything that this person said. But it, I had to re-record it three times because the first time I recorded it, I was really angry. And the second time I recorded it, I was really angry, but I was going to go with that. And as I sent it to the IT folks who were going to make it into, you know, make it into something that was fitting for, for being put up there, uh, he shared it with the pastor of my church because he said, I have a little bit of concern here, the tone. And my pastor listened to it and he, he called me up. He says, Jim, I, I think, I think this guy has gotten under your skin and it shows. And, uh, if you come forth with your YouTube video like that, it's not going to go well because people are going to realize that they can get under your skin. I needed to hear that. And you know why it's so important for me to hear that? And it's as I told my pastor, I said, Roger, thank you for telling me this. Because you get to a certain level in life where so few people speak into your life. So few people want to speak into your life because they think, how can I speak into his life? He must know. If he does it, it must be right. But no, I am so thankful to the church. This connection with the body of Christ, that it's not just me. There's a connection that's broader than me. And you see this. And he says, I'm the one who guided your father. I'm the one who guided your grandfather. And it was in this city that they both lived. In this city. This is the last city before he goes into Egypt. And he says to him, he says that, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Now, why would he tell him, do not be afraid? If somebody said to me, do not be afraid to get up and to walk to your kitchen, I'd be like, what are you talking about? I have no fear of getting up and walking to my kitchen. No fear. So it would be ridiculous for God to tell him that if he were not afraid. There was some fear in Jacob's life about going down into Egypt. And rightly so. First of all, Jacob is 130 years old. And old people don't like to travel. I mean, I just know that. I can see that. Old people don't like to travel. And secondly, it tells us in Ecclesiastes that old people are afraid of, of the terrors of the night. And, uh, and that happens when you get older. I just want to stay in my place. Secondly, he's wondering, is it okay to go down into Egypt? Is it okay? Because God had, when Abraham went down into Egypt because of famine in Genesis chapter 12, it was never sanctioned 
It was never something that was ordained by God. There was never a divine sanctioning for that. And that's where he picked up Hagar, by the way, which resulted in a lot of troubles. When, when, uh, when, when uh, um, uh, Isaac was considering going down into Egypt, Isaac was considering going down into Egypt because of a famine in, in, in Genesis chapter 26, verse 2. God told Isaac, don't go down into Egypt. You, got, you go to where I tell you. And he went into Gerar, which is still in the land of Canaan. It was, it was governed by, by, by uh, another group of people. And, uh, and then we, we, we went through that before, but he never went down into Egypt. God told him, don't leave the land. Don't go into Egypt. So it's, we can understand why, why Jacob would be so concerned. Is it okay for me to go into Egypt? You know, I just, I just wanted to go see my son because he's alive. But am I doing the right thing? And God tells him, do not be afraid to go down into Egypt for I will make you a great nation there. I will make you a great nation there. Don't be afraid. This is what I'm calling you to do. You go down into Egypt, I'm going to make you a great nation there. This must have been a tremendous relief. This is sanctioned by God. This is the first time. When Jacob had left the land and gone up to Haran, that was never divinely sanctioned. His father Isaac and his mother had sent him there, but it was never divinely sanctioned. This is the first divine sanctioning of the people of Israel leaving the land. And, uh, and we know that there will be another divine sanctioning of that in the end times, in the tribulation, there will be another divine sanctioning where they will leave the land for a short period of time. They will go across the River Jordan into Perea and there will be a judgment that will hit and then they will return. These are the only divine sanctionings of, the, of them leaving the land. And so you see, you see this. He says, you go down to Egypt now and he says... Uh, um, I will make you there a great nation. And we see that a few pages over, just in a few pages in, in Exodus chapter 1. In ex- Exodus chapter 1, we see the fulfillment of that in Exodus chapter 1. And reading from verse 7. But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. God did exactly what he said. I'm going to make you a mighty nation there. He might have also been worrying because he knew the prophecy that came to Abraham. There was a prophecy to Abraham that, w- that had been given in, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, that said that your children, are, you, that your offspring are going to go into a foreign land and there they're going to be oppressed for 400 years. That oppression we saw last time actually started right there in the land of Canaan. And they're going to be and the oppression is going to continue for 400 year period from the time that Isaac was five years old, was uh, five years old. Uh, and we, we looked at that last time. But he's wondering, is this the oppression, the time of oppression that you're talking about? There's many things that might have been going through his mind, but now he could be in comfort because God said, you go down into the land. And here's what God says further. He says, I will go down with you to Egypt. And I will surely bring you up again. And Joseph will close your eyes. This is the epitome of the life with Jesus. I will go down with you into Egypt. I will go down with you. God says, I am going with you. Jesus says, I will go with you wherever you go. While we are on this earth, our Jesus goes with us. Our Jesus is with us. 
Jesus stood at Paul's side in the book of Acts and said, you have solemnly testified of me in Jerusalem. You must testify of me in Rome also. So Paul knew that he was going to get to Rome. He didn't know that he was going to have to spend several years in prison in Caesarea on the Mediterranean coast and go through a shipwreck and spend time on Malta and be bitten by a viper. He didn't know any of that, but he knew that he would get to Rome because God had said, you will witness in Rome also. He says to him, I will go down with you to Egypt. Uh, let me mute that. Hey guys, could you get, could you get that muted please? Alright, so he says, he says, I will go down with you. I will go down with you into Egypt. I will go down with you to Egypt and I will surely bring you up again. This is the Christian life. Jesus is with us wherever we go. Jesus is with us wherever we go. And then what happens is once, once, once he's with us like this, then what happens is I will surely bring you up again. I will surely bring you up again. Jesus is the one who brings us up. He goes with us when we are down here. But he is the one who receives us up again. This is, this is exactly what Jesus tells us. He tells, tells us in John chapter 14, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwellings. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I know that the moment I die here on earth, I will be very much alive with him. And my Jesus is going to bring me. My Jesus himself will bring me. This is the promise. He says, I will come again and receive you to myself. I will come. Jesus said, I'm coming and I'm going to receive you. This is the hope that I have. I'm coming and I will receive you. It is a beautiful truth that he has for the believer. A beautiful truth. This is the summation of the life with Jesus. I will go down with you. My Jesus is with me here on earth. And I'm going to take you up again. I'm going to take you. I will go down with you. But on the way back, he says, on the way back, and I, sh I surely will bring you up. You see the difference. Down here, he's right along our side. When we're going, he's taking us. He's taking us back. And the assurance that comes. This comes through spending time with God. If I could get through to you the importance of spending daily time with God, this is the only way that I know to have victory in the Christian life, to have victory in, in, in the faith life with Jesus, is daily time with the Lord. And when I say daily, I really mean daily. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is, this is in, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, and he is citing Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, when he said that. Jesus Jesus' quotes from the Bible, he quotes more from Deuteronomy chapter 8 than any other book of the Old Testament. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Go ahead for three days without food and tell me how you feel. Tell me if you think you could fight a fight after three days without food. You'll feel terribly weak. But people will go three days without coming alone with God all the time. And they wonder why they're beat up and defeated in their Christian life. This is what happens when you don't spend time with God. You get beat up and defeated in Christian life. It is so important to spend daily time with God. 
In Isaiah chapter 48, Isaiah chapter 48, verse 18 and 19, it says, If only you had paid attention to my commandments, then your well-being would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. If you'd only spent time with me, God is saying, your well-being, you would have been fine. Your descendants would have been like the sand and your offspring like its grains. Their name would never be cut off or destroyed from my presence. Look at the promise he was giving them. If they had, if, he said, if you had only done this, if you had only done this, in Psalm chapter 81, he says the same thing. Oh, that my, in Psalm chapter 81, verse 13 through 16, oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. Jesus would defeat your adversaries if you would spend time with him, daily time with him. Man does not live by bread alone. Jacob, uh, Jacob is offering up offerings, animals. This costs him something. There is a cost. You think, oh, it's so hard to get out of bed. Good, good. There is a cost to spend time with the Lord. Good. I'm glad it's difficult to get out of bed in the morning. It should be. It should be. Don't offer up to the Lord that which costs you nothing. It's not just the scraps of your time when you're running out of the house. It costs something to get from God. Offer up to God. And learn to receive from Him through this offering up of time with Him. And there is great blessing in this. Now I address the unbeliever. The unbeliever who is listening. There is none of this for you. None of this. What awaits you is a hellfire of brimstone. Fire. A sulfur fire. That's what brimstone is. Sulfur fire. That's what awaits you if you do not know Him. And Jesus weeps over the fact that you do not know Him. In, 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 uh, in Luke chapter 19, he wept over Jerusalem. The, the Lord, the Son of God, stood over Jerusalem as he was walking over the Mount of Olives. He looked at it and he started to weep. He said, if you, even you knew what would have brought you peace in your life, if you only knew. But now you don't see it. And we don't see it because we turn our back to it. I urge you this day to receive the Lord. If you do not know Jesus, receive the Lord. We are going to pray now. And I'm going to pray that the unbelievers receive the Lord this day. And for the believers, if you don't, if you have not been spending daily time with the Lord, you are weak. It's like going three days without food. You are weak because man does not receive by bread alone, but does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It was the mouth of God that gave Jacob the strength to go into Egypt. It is the mouth of God that we receive as we meditate over his word where we get this. And there's going to be a time of repentance now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word, for the truth of your word. It is so good. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. I pray right now, Lord, for the unbelievers who are on this call. I pray, Lord, that they would soften their hearts and they would pray with me this day. If you do not know the Lord, repeat after me. Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me. I believe that Jesus is Lord and I believe that He has risen from the dead. Thank you, Lord, for dying for me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. And for the believers who are on the line, 
join me in prayer. Lord, forgive me for neglecting the Word of God, for neglecting the hearing of Your voice. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for offering up that which cost me nothing. Forgive me for that, Lord. Forgive me, Lord, that I have not taken Your Word seriously, that I have complained about getting up in the morning to spend time with You. Forgive me, Lord. And Lord, may I dedicate my life to You to spend daily time in Your Word, to hear from You and Your Word. Father, I pray that You would speak to my heart through the Scriptures as I come before the Word of God. Speak to my heart. Speak to my heart, Lord. And Lord, I thank You. I thank You for these people. And Lord, I pray Your work and Your blessing in their lives. Lord, draw them close to Jesus for the glory of Jesus and in His name. Amen.